your business functionally is just meant to provide value to a customer, right? That's what you do. Transactionally, that's what you do. But also you can do that relationally, right? There's a relational aspect to that. But transactionally, that is functionally what's happening. The reason that that's important is because that's what working in the business looks like. And so now whenever we're talking about leadership, communication and organization and operationalization and structure and org charts, all of that is meant to bolster and build an infrastructure so that the creation and delivery of value is done in a more effective and efficient way. Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. Well, we're jumping into a series with our COO, Zach Estes, and we're going to look at the topic and theme of operationalizing excellence. And specifically, in this episode, we wanted to get into two words that Zach, and by extension our team, is deeply passionate about, value and waste. And specifically, in this first episode, we're going to look at why it's so important for you not only as a leader to believe in the power of, but also for your team to have a culture that is committed to generating, creating, and delivering value and reducing waste. Here we go. Zach, I'm pumped about this. Uh, I think where I'd like to start is the other day we were in a session with a business that was doing a lot of work on their operations. And you used an analogy to describe value and waste that I just feel like characterized it in a way that was so clear that both they were able to grasp on in a new and fresh way, and and then I was too. Uh, And so I'd love for us to share that analogy uh, with our podcast audience. Yeah. The uh, story I like to tell, and I've actually heard this from a couple different people in a couple different ways, but the story I like to tell is about traveling on an airplane. And so we, it's really easy. I guess the principle here is that it's really easy for us to observe what it's like being a customer of things that we are regularly a customer of. So restaurants, coffee shops, air travel. And so whenever you go on an airplane, sometimes you experience this thing where there's four seats left on an airplane and all of a sudden they'll offer um, a lot of incentives for people to switch to that or to buy a ticket last minute, all of those things. Well, the reason behind that is because once that airplane takes off, they can't sell on that capacity anymore. You know, if a, if an airplane has 200 seats and there's 180 seats taken and it's an hour until the airplane is supposed to take off. They have one hour to either take off with 20 seats empty, or they can try and sell each seat for a dollar because it's going to take off anyways, right? Anything's better than zero dollars coming in for that seat because it's going to take off anyways. So the principle around this is just really thinking about like, how does volume and capacity apply in your business? And at what point can you no longer sell on that thing, right? Southwest can't sell me on a flight that happened yesterday, right? You can't go back and sell backwards. And so just thinking about the way in which your business creates and delivers value. And then what is your capacity for actually being able to sell on that capacity is is really important to think about, okay, well, what does that mean for today? Maybe what does that mean for this week? What does that mean for this month? And how's our volume stack up with that? 
how does that mean how efficient we are with our current capacity? Are we over capacity? Have we oversold on things? And now we're trying to mix and match where sales are actually landing on the plane, so to speak. And I think if you just use an analogy for that, and a plane's a really obvious, easy one to use, it helps you apply those principles inside of your business. Yeah, this is something that I would actually say is a strength for you is observing other organizations, other industries, understanding how they operate their business model, and then extracting the principles from those industries and saying, okay, how does that apply to not only what we do at Path for Growth, but how does that apply to the multitude of businesses that we serve at Path for Growth? I guess I'd love for us to get into your head a little bit, although that sounds like a scary proposition. (laughs) Um, I'd love for us to get into your head a little bit. And when you see something like that, like when you're on a plane and you see 20 empty seats. Like, what do you see when you see that? And then how do you translate what's going on there to, let's just use what we do at Path for Growth. For you as the COO, how are you taking what you see there and bringing it into your role and into our team, Zach? Yeah, great question. So let's use the planning analogy. There's 20 empty seats. Some other things I'm thinking about are, you know, what else is on the plane that's taking up space? Because there's, there's currently 200 seats is there a way to turn that into 210 seats? That Hmm. same plane without making it a bigger plane, without changing the plane? You know, can we have less snacks and maybe we just get rid of the snack section and snacks aren't needed and we only do flights that are under two hours? You know, that changes your capacity for what you're actually providing and getting people from here to there as as a plane and travel service. So using that same analogy of saying like, okay, what... What's currently making up our capacity and how are we measuring that? What is our seat on the plane for a customer to buy into and for us to take them from here to there and provide that value? You know, for Path for Growth in particular, we kind of operate with our coaching on a monthly basis. And so our capacity is defined on a month. We can't sell someone or provide last month's value today. Like that doesn't make sense. We're just going to start serving someone today and this month. We're not going to go backwards and serve someone for 12 months prior. You know, that just doesn't make sense. And so it's like, okay, well, we provide monthly coaching and we can start that this month. And so just thinking about our volume relative to our capacity in that sense, our coach's capacity in that sense, um, so that the quality of our product doesn't deteriorate as well as uh, us just making sure that we're able to sustainably provide that value for the customer on a monthly basis. And and there's two words that you've used uh, thus far that I think in many ways have been ingrained to the culture of our team, and that's volume and capacity. And I think those are two words that you reflect on a lot as it relates to the topic that we're getting into today. Could you give us maybe even just a workable understanding of what do you mean whenever you say volume and what do you mean when you say capacity? Yeah, so... I like to look at things as as a machine just with my manufacturing background. And so it's just helpful for me to think through that. So volume is just the volume of uh, raw material or product or whatever you want to call it. Volume of product moving through the machine in a given amount of time. The capacity is what's the total amount of volume that we could move through this machine in that given amount of time. So the, the thing I'd say there is for any business, you have a capacity period. You have a capacity whether you know it or not. The problem is a lot of people never define it and they just end up hitting it and going over it. And then they start realizing their shipments are late. They can't produce on budget. They're producing defects, 
right? They're hitting, they've gone beyond their capacity and now they're not even producing the product or the service that they've promised their customer, um, whether it be the actual quality of the product or um, an on-time or on-budget delivery. And so it's a really, it's like a promise thing with your customer. It's saying, yes, we're able to provide you this value at this time, at this price. And that's a promise that you're making to your customer. And so what I would recommend people to do is, um, and this is really what we've done, take a guess, take a, an educated guess, make an arbitrary, um, not totally arbitrary, but an educated uh, hypothesis as to what your capacity is, and then improve, right? Set a standard for what your capacity is, and then measure it and say, wow, we're actually doing really, really well right here. We have a, a lot more actual physical capacity to be able to do more. And so we're going to up it by a couple of degrees. We're going to up it by a couple of units. We're going to up it by a couple of days, whatever, however your capacity is managed. And then you'll be able to realize, okay, so this is our capacity. Again, the problem becomes when you start creating defects, when you're starting to not be able to deliver on the promise that you've made to your customer. Mm -hmm. Okay. So like if we were to look at our business, just to make sure we're understanding this correctly, it's like volume is... Uh, potential customers, prospects, leads coming through our pipeline, and maybe the wait list that we have for coaching, right? So so that's a volume. And then capacity is, let's say, one of our one-on-one coaches' ability to serve the volume that is waiting to be served. Does that feel like a correct way to kind of draw out that illustration or use those terms? I think so. The only adjustments I would make for volume is just like the actual number of people we are serving. And so you could have a buildup of demand and that's probably what I would call all of the other things like prospects or mm-hmm. wait lists, all of the people who are wanting to be served. But I would just call that demand more than anything. But volume are the people who we, we are actively serving. And so really those are all of our coaching customers. Anyone who's currently a coaching customer is a part of our volume. They're part of who we're currently creating and delivering value to and for. And then, yeah, our capacity is, you know, a coach's certain capacity would be um, the total number of customers that they're able to serve in a given month. Okay, so that's really good for this industry, though, because I mean, like, I've heard the horror stories. It's why I'm so grateful we've got you on the team. I've heard the horror stories of like, okay, our volume, the people that we are responsible for serving is 24, but mm-hmm. the people that we're able to serve with quality is 16. And it's like, well, you're, and you always tell our team, you're like, you cannot be over capacity. Like if you're saying you're over capacity, essentially that's code for saying, oh, we're making compromises on what we promised to the customer. Exactly. Um, And so it's just really crucial to understand what are we committed to accomplishing and then what are we able to actually accomplish? And it sounds like what you're advocating for is making those two numbers basically the same thing, correct? Yeah, right. Yeah, that's a great um that's a great point. I don't know that I've ever thought about it that way, but you know, I've I've been in organizations before where a capacity number is set and it becomes the norm that oh, we operate at 120% capacity. And then you just sit there and think for a little bit like hmm, I don't know how that's possible. How can you fill up a bucket 20% more than how big the bucket actually is? You can't, that doesn't make sense. So if you actually think about, well, like what can this bucket of water hold? That's a hundred percent capacity. If it's to the brim, that's a hundred percent capacity, right? If the, and, and so then you just start to think, well, like how do we increase capacity? 
And that's a whole operational conversation of like, how do we healthily, sustainably actually increase capacity? In, in in other industries, you could see like in manufacturing, in anywhere where there's like an hourly job to be done, you see people consider like overtime or additional shifts or extended shifts. And that starts to change the cost of your capacity. So it's not a one for one thing. It's not just like hiring more people. It maybe requires more floor space, maybe requires more machinery, maybe it requires more locations or restaurants or whatever it is that your industry is. Capacity costs. And so having a definite metric that's measurable for identifying what capacity is helps you figure out, okay, well, what can we actually service? What can we actually provide? A lot of larger industries know this automatically because some customers won't even do deals with businesses unless they understand that you have the actual capacity to be able to service them. As an example, like in the auto manufacturing industry, a Toyota or Ford or whatever, it goes to a supplier and they're looking for bids for them to be able to get a product delivered to them for their manufacturing line. And if they know that you don't have the capacity, maybe what they're looking for is to actually invest into your business so that you have the capacity. But they're not just going to do a deal with you based on your promise that you say that you can get capacity. And like they want to make sure that they're going to get their product on time, on budget, uh, with no defects. And they're not gonna they're not gonna even leave that up to your word. They're gonna want proof that you have capacity. And so I think that's just like a really healthy standard for saying, like, okay, we'll apply that to your small business. Let's apply that to our small business. Let's hold the standard of saying we're gonna operate with proof of our word is being true. We have the capacity to create and deliver value without defects and uh, go above and beyond for our customers in that way. It, it seems really important to establish clear standards. And I would also say values, maybe even before you start to make these capacity hypotheses, because I, I really view standards and values and a clear description of the outcomes that are to be accomplished by the job as basically like your non-negotiable things that you're unwilling to compromise. Yeah. And then in this process or journey or adventure of reducing waste and maximizing capacity, we're then telling people, find the most efficient way. But I think until you have those standards and values and clear outcomes that you're looking for, you may end up with a team that compromises things that you never wanted to be compromised. And it's because they're actually trying to do a good job. But mm. I think there's something in there about that distinction between efficiency and effectiveness. Yeah, those are those are for sure great points. So uh, we could get into a little bit of this in, in different ways. I know we, we have probably a lot of conversations uh, planned for this, but the whole idea of like your business functionally is just meant to provide value to a customer right? That's what you do. Transactionally, that's what you do. But also you could do that relationally, right? There, there's a relational aspect to that. But transactionally, that is functionally what's happening is that you're providing value to a customer and they're paying you uh, a price for that. The reason that that's important is because that's what working in the business looks like. And so now whenever we're talking about leadership and communication and organization and operationalization and structure and org charts, all of that is meant to bolster and build an infrastructure so that the creation and delivery of value is done in a more effective and efficient way, is done in such a way that the team member can have a healthy life. The relationship between the team member and the leader can 
have a healthy and be fruitful and true and real deep connection so that the relationship between the team member and the customer can be uh, fruitful and good and healthy so that the customers are well served and provided for in that way. There's, it's just like do all these things in such a way so that the best outcome is possible rather than serving someone's like lowest interest um, that may overlap with what they want, whether they know it or not. Well, I think you've done a lot of teaching to our team on this topic. And then also beyond that to our customers, especially in the Path for Growth membership. And I think the thing that my eyes have been open to do is that there are so many business that on paper, they exist to serve the customer. If you look at their P&L and if you look at their operations, it's like, oh, this business exists to run this business. Like that is what this mm. business does. And it, and they're just barely scraping by enough money each month from these things called customers to keep this machine running itself. And, and it's just wild when your eyes are open to that. It's like, oh my gosh, that that is uh, horrendously not the way it's supposed to be. But also you just have your eyes open to, oh, there is so much opportunity with regard to team member engagement, with regard to service and value added to the customer, but then also with regard to profitability it's like there's low hanging fruit that I mean could just radically change things with just a little bit of intentional effort and focus. And you already highlighted on a little bit, but I, I'd love for us to get into those terms of value and waste. I, I feel like it would be really helpful for people if we just created a Zach Estes uh, glossary. I think that would be really good where we created your terms and added all the <laughs> definitions. But but let's add in, let's jump into the working definitions that you always use and you teach our team on value and waste. So when you talk about value in a business, how are you thinking about that? Yeah, the way in which I define this is uh, value is what the customer pays for, period, nothing else. End of story. Um, that's it. And so going back to like an airplane analogy, again, it's really helpful to observe these types of principles and definitions whenever you're the actual customer paying for something. And so if you think about it, you get on an airplane, let's say you even buy a first class ticket. What you're really just paying for there is to get from here to there. You're paying to go from Nashville to New York City. If you get on that airplane and let's say they go ahead and serve you cocktails and they serve you a meal, but the plane never takes off. Oh, and they actually kick you off. You're going to be pretty uh, dissatisfied with that service because the promise that that company made whenever they sold you that product was to get from here to there. That's the, that's the thing that you bought, right? If you go to a restaurant and they don't give you food and drink, you're going to be like, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why I gave this place money. I'm not giving this place money because I didn't get food. I'm at a restaurant. And so it's just like those really simple things. So just thinking about what uh, what the customer is actually paying for versus everything else. And everything else is what I call waste or not value. It's, it's sometimes easier to just call those things, well, that's not what the customer is paying for. So let's just call that not value. Mm-hmm. And we've already gone into some on this podcast, the fact that there's a difference between what's value and what's could be deemed valuable. Why do you think it's important for small business owners and their teams to draw a hard line around that question of what is the customer actually paying for? Why would it be wise for businesses to spend time really deliberately answering that question and then making sure they're attending to the answer to that question? Yeah, 
I think it's, especially for impact-driven leaders, this is the change that you want to see in the world. Like this is how your product, whether you're manufacturing something, creating something, whatever, or your service, whatever it is that you're delivering, the change that you're delivering for that customer is the impact that you're making for them in that moment. And if you don't define that, then the whole entire team, your entire customer base gets really confused as to what it is that you're providing. And so for Path for Growth, as an example, we provide coaching and we do that by having a monthly coaching call. Now, we also go above and beyond in ways that um, you have access to communicate with your coach on a regular basis. They hold you accountable with action items, all of those things. We have an app that you can engage with them on and track uh, information and document that information for how you're progressing through the Path for Growth Fundamentals, all of those things, right? But when you bring it back down to it is if the coaching call is not happening and actually providing perspective, direction, and accountability for that customer, then they're not getting what they're paying for. Like that's the promise that we're making to our customers that we're going to help them through that delivery mechanism. They're going to receive change through that method. And one of the things that I feel like I've learned a lot in examining this for us, but also in our time working with other businesses on this topic, is that it is arrogance at best to assume that you know what your customer's paying for. It yeah. would be way it would be way better and way more humble for you to operate from the posture of I have no clue. I have no clue what they're paying for because then you get to go on this adventure of finding out what they're paying for. And you may realize on that adventure, oh my gosh, we're spending so much time, energy, money. Some people, literally their job has nothing to do with what the customer actually cares about. And then you may be completely <laughs> radically under-resourcing the mm -hmm. thing that people actually care about. And so I think it's one of the best exercises that a business owner, a business leader can engage in is to, to put on your humble hat and yeah. to give your customer a call and just ask some questions to say, what are you actually paying us for? Could be really, really valuable. The thing that just cracks me up. So uh, particularly in end of 2022, beginning of 2023, the thing that has all the headlines is Elon Musk buying Twitter. Mm -hmm. And through either laying people off or people just leaving because they're really unhappy with their new boss, they essentially lose like 80% of their workforce. Twitter loses 80% of the workforce. And an interviewer once asked Elon, he said, you know, you've, you only have 20% of your team left since last year. Like, how is that? How's Twitter even operating? And his response is essentially principally, I'm not going to share exactly what he said, but principally he said, well, when you have a lot of people doing something that doesn't result in the creation and delivery of value for the customer you don't you don't need you don't need people doing that work that's not doing anything for what our customers are paying for what he actually said was something along the lines of like when you have people uh moderating other people's languages like that's not no one's paying twitter to do that functionally meanwhile we have 80% of our workforce either actually moderating it or creating um, algorithms to moderate it or all of this stuff. And it's like, wow, what, you know, if you look at the Twitter business model, no one's paying you to do that. So you're just like overstaffed. You have so much overhead, so much cost going out to not actually create and deliver value and make a change that you're wanting to see in the business. And that's, that's so true for so many businesses is that they just have so much overhead thinking to what you're saying, thinking that they're doing the right thing 
or thinking that they're helping someone or thinking that they're providing value only because that they've put forth the effort of saying, I know what's right for the customer rather than asking what's actually right. Like, what do they want? What, how can I provide value to them based on what they say, not what my hypothesis is? The hypothesis is meant to be proven anyways. So if, if, you, if you're fat on overhead, then your hypothesis is wrong and you should change your hypothesis. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I mean, it, it's amazing how much energy and attention is being dedicated to Elon's strategies and approach towards Twitter when there probably should be equal amount of time, energy dedicated to the previous CEO who on his watch... Uh, was able to have everyone employed and then 80% of those people left and Twitter still exists. Like that is the worst indictment of leadership that there could possibly be that you mean to tell me we could cut 80% and this thing would still continue to hum? Like that is absurd. The the former uh, CEO of Twitter actually commented on that of just like how poorly he stewarded the organization to where it was far overstaffed. So without getting too far down that line, he was probably aware of it, probably not to the extent of 80%, but he was probably aware of it. And I think that raises the question that we've actually observed. Why do leaders often uh, not engage with reducing waste in their business? What is the thing that you've observed keeps them from trying to cut down some of the overhead or crud that is getting in the way with delivering value to the customer in the most effective and efficient way possible, Zach? I think the thing that can get in a lot of people's way, I've seen this in a lot of our customers' uh, businesses where at some point in time, they've never defined value. They've never defined exactly what it is that we're providing for our customers. And so they're overcommitted in all of these different arenas. And the principle that I always kind of communicate is everything requires maintenance. And so if you're doing a bunch of different things to try and provide value you're going to overextend yourself. You're going to be doing too many things that require too much maintenance, which is all overhead. And so I always kind of come back to, if you can define value and focus on the things that you can commit to, the things that you have capacity for, then you can see that everything else is waste and you can focus on reducing those things. If you're focused on reducing waste in your organization, that just means you're more efficient and effective at providing creating and delivering that value for your customers in a better way. You know, your return on investment, so to speak, is is better. And the promise that you're making to your customer is better, more predictable, more reliable, more dependable. They can depend on you to deliver on that promise. But if you are increasing the amount of waste associated with creating and delivering value, then you become less dependable. It takes longer to be able to um, deliver on that promise. It costs more to deliver on that promise. And it's it's not as sustainable. And so it's just like this, this balance of if you know what waste, if you know what value is, rather, if you know what value is in your business, then you can see everything else as, as waste or non-value. We've already seen customers get really hyped by this message and they set the goal for their organization that they say, you know, by the end of next quarter, our goal is to eliminate waste in the organization. And I've literally seen you stop them and be like, well, you won't. So, so just stop right there. You're not going to eliminate waste. And, and I've seen you really coach uh, some of our customers and work with some of our customers on changing their language and expectations to not eliminating waste, but rather reducing waste. Can you 
explain that distinction? Yeah, I don't. I don't know where this came from, but at some point, I, I think it sounds good. It's like an absolute mentality to eliminate waste, and the problem with that is that it's, it's not possible. It's not possible, and if something's not possible, then it's really like demotivating to go after something and then realize like I'm never going to actually reach that. Why am I doing this? And so I would just say like let's just have the mature conversation of saying, okay, that's not possible. What is possible? Well, we can get better. Okay, what does that look like? Well, let's reduce waste. And so to come back to your point of like, whenever you're having this conversation with your team or any of our customers that are having this conversation, all of the non-value things are decisions that you've made in the past or your team has made in the past that have been subconscious bets. They've been subconscious bets or maybe conscious bets that it is worth doing this and it'll provide a return. What kind of return? How big of a return? Who knows? But the bet has been, we make this investment and it'll help us create and deliver value. Subconsciously, that's typically what happens. Now, often how that comes about is that people lack context before and after such processes aren't clear, meaning like within an organization, who first talks to the customer, who last talks to the customer, how does this completely go through the organization to get to the customer, a lot of that context lacks. And so people make decisions in silos, which then ends up creating a lot of waste uh, from the beginning to the end of the delivery of service. And so if you define the value for the entire organization, define what the product is that the customer is actually paying for, then you can kind of give eyes to see for everyone as to say like, okay, well, I know how to reduce, I can't reduce, you you can say, I can't reduce non-value for the business, but I can reduce non-value for my part in the business, for what I'm doing in the business. Anytime I'm, you know, looking for something or overproducing on something, or anytime there's a defect that's because of my own work, I can sit here and think, well, how can I prevent that from happening again? How can I reduce the amount of waiting that, you know, so-and-so needs information from me? How can I just get that information automatically to them? If you just ask those questions and get curious about it, you're really acting in the best interest of the customer and the business and your team, all of those things. That's right. I feel like an example here may be helpful because I feel like what you're pointing our eyes to is what we've discussed before as unintentional waste versus intentional waste. And one area where I've seen this creep up in our business, but also in other businesses is just meetings, right? Mm -hmm. Meetings by nature are waste. Why do we know that to be true? Because your customer is not paying you to meet with your team right? So it's not value. Zach's giving me a virtual high five right now because he's had to drill this into my head over and over again. But but it's important for me to understand that because I'm a people person, right? And we work with a lot of leaders that are people people, right? They just love people. They love relationships. They believe in the creative power of groups getting together. And, and so there's often times where we approach a problem or we approach an opportunity in our business. And my natural impulse is we got to get a meeting on the calendar about this. I want to get the best people in the room to solve this problem. And I want us to get together and tackle it. And uh, Zach and Olivia are both really, really good about saying, okay, what would you want to accomplish in that meeting? And what would you want the return to be? Some version of those two questions. And that's so helpful because those two questions can transform unintentional waste to intentional waste. 
Because if I just say, we just need to get together and we're not clear about what we want to accomplish and what we want the return to be, then we're no longer making a bet. We're not making a subconscious or, or conscious bet on what we want to create. We're just moving forward and saying, let's just get people together when our customer's not paying for that. Yeah. But if I said, well, I think we should accomplish point A, point B, point C. I'm going to write them down on an agenda and that's what we're going to accomplish by the end of the meeting. And that will re- result in value for our customer in this way. Then it's amazing. Zach and Olivia are like totally on board at that point. And, and so uh, I, I would challenge you if you're the leader that's prone to scheduling meetings to discuss things, have people on your team that can push back on you to say, what are we trying to accomplish and what will the return be for the customer or challenge yourself on those things because that will transform unintentional waste to intentional waste. Anything more you want to say on that topic? Man, that's fascinating. I think you talking more about like the value of organizational communication is how I think about it. But like team meetings, one-on-ones, all of those things are functionally not what your customer's paying for. They're not value, but they're a bet that you're making. and so. You want to make that bet as informed as possible and try to produce the greatest amount of return from that investment because it's it's you spending your potential profit on an investment. The reason I bring that up is just thinking through of like, you know, some some organizations have team meetings with a thousand people, a hundred people, 50 people, whatever. It's your whole team. And that's really expensive. That's 50 man hours for a one hour 50 person meeting, right? 50 man hours that you're spending. Um, I once heard Chris Ronzio talk about Chris Ronzio from Trainual talk about, you know, there was like a meeting with like 12 people in there and they walked in and they were talking about some topic or having some decision that they were going to make. And Chris just kind of stopped and interrupted the meeting was like, this meeting is costing us uh, like, let's say $1,200 or something, $1,200, $1,300. Is it worth this investment to make this decision? And they said, no. And everyone walked out. And that's just a really good gut check of like, you know, at least in a gut check level, you want to be able to say, oh yeah, like it's, it's not just worth the a thousand dollars that we're putting into this as far as time. Like it's worth probably $10,000 if it's costing us a thousand, you know, if it's, if it's a gut check level, like 10 X the return, it's like, great, we should absolutely be having this conversation and be making this decision. But if you're like making a $300 decision with 10 people in the room, then you're just like, what I, uh, what's happening here? Not only are we making a terrible investment of our time, but we're also losing opportunity. Like we're, we're not working on something else that we could be working on. So it's just like this double hitter. I think that's just a really good example of being able to visualize waste in an organization, non-value in an organization that should be generating a return for the business so that value can be created and delivered. And that kind of gets to like the differences between working in the business and on the business and even outside of the business. Hmm. I didn't tell you we were going to go here, but I'm really interested to know your thoughts on this. What is the biblical justification or a biblical justification for thinking about business operations in this way? Wow. <laughs> yeah. That, ooh, this would probably stir some people up, which that's always fun. The thing that just immediately comes to mind is that the the Bible through God's word, there's so many times in which you're able to see what is right and what is not right. 
what is right and what is wrong, what does God call good, um, and what is obviously cursed, what is a blessing versus a curse, all of those things. And so I think holding this lens of understanding what value looks like in an organization, in the world, it's what people set their eyes on. So when you're looking at like the idols that people worshiped in the Old Testament, that's a good example of that they valued something that wasn't true. They valued something that was bad. They valued something that wasn't in their best interest. It didn't have the return that they expected from it, right? You could think about it in lenses like that. If you worship something that's not God as God, you're not going to, that thing can't bless you. That thing can't provide for you. That thing can't uh, save you. That thing can't be your justification. It can't judge you. It can't do anything. God can, the ultimate creator of the universe. But if you're, if you're valuing the wrong thing, if you don't actually have the lens for what is right and what is wrong in an organization based on who it's meant for, what it's meant for, then you're just going to have the wrong lens on. You're going to be operating incorrectly, frankly. You're not going to be doing what a business is made to do, which is to serve people, help people, love people, um, and make a positive impact. And I think that uh, exactly what you said right there, I think that was so well articulated, is why this topic, uh, if we were in Texas, I'd say gets in the burr of a saddle <laughs> or it yeah. gives you a burr in your saddle for many of the people that we work with because we work uh, with impact-driven leaders, right? And I think when impact-driven leaders see uh, overhead fat waste in their organization, they don't just see overhead fat and waste. They don't just see dollars and cents. They see that is potential impacts that is being left on the table. And yeah. instead of being selfless and being focused on the customer and serving them in a way that's glorifying to God, we are serving ourselves and we are creating an organization that exists to run the organization. And so, man, I, I think that's a great way to kind of lay the foundation for a series of conversations we're going to be getting into. I want to give everyone a roadmap of where we're going in these conversations. In the next episode that we record, we're going to dive into how this topic of value and waste connects to working in the business versus working on the business versus working out of the business. That's going to be a really powerful topic, especially if you own or run a business. I think that's going to be one that you want to make sure you listen to. And then out of that, we're going to kind of break down really the lean concepts around what are the eight types of waste and how could they possibly be shown showing up in your organization and what do you need to do with them. So make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you get each of those episodes as they come out. Zach, as always, man, you're an authority in this space. I really feel that way. And I just so enjoy uh, speaking with you because not only can you talk about this stuff, but you're a practitioner on this stuff. And so thanks for your time. Game on for round two, man. Thanks. Let's go. Well, I'm so grateful to Zach for his passion for this topic, uh, but then also even more than just his passion for the topic, uh, for his passion for seeing the topic come to life for leaders and teams around the country. Hey, real quick, before we close out today, if you enjoyed this content and want more content like it, we send out an email every single Wednesday called Worth It Wednesday. I personally don't like email that much, and that's because most email isn't worth it. It's not worth your time, not worth your energy. So we said that if we're gonna send an email once a week, it better be worth it. Every week, you're gonna get a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. You can read it in under two minutes. 
minutes. So many of you are already part of the Worth It Wednesday community. We'd love to have you join if you're not yet receiving this email. You can sign up at pathforgrowth.com or by clicking the link that's in the show notes. Y'all know this. We're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.